today we're going to be talking about wrestling with debt. Well, when our listeners need to save some money, what do they need to do? Listen, stop asking them fool questions. He ain't got the answer today, baby. Take it from the second most recognizable athlete in the world today. Savewithbruce.com can't be beat. They lower your monthly payments by five, four, six, eight, seven hundred dollars a month, baby. You got credit card debt, car loan, a second mortgage? There ain't no problem right here at SaveWithBruce.com. Punkerhead gonna take care of you today. You understand me, baby? Ooh, yeah, we don't need perfect credit, uh huh? Even with credit scores in the 500, SaveWithBruce.com makes saving money easy. Dig it? NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Mother. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of world championship wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett promotions. And now let's go to the ring. Here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When with Tony Schiavone right here on MLWRadio.com. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Conrad, how are you, buddy? Man, I tell you what, I'm fired up. I felt like we had one of our best shows. I think we're coming off two of our best shows. I enjoyed World War III 1996. Uh, I thought Fall Brawl 1997, which is our most recent episode, which is uh, available in the archives right now, is maybe our best show we've ever done. What did you think? I thought it was tremendous. Uh, I, I, again, I didn't like the commentary from the rest from the wrestling announcers that day. Uh, but, uh, going forward here, I thought at that time, I'm thinking, wow, that is the beginning of when Tony Schiavone really started to stink up the joint. And then I, I, uh, I tune into Halloween havoc 1998. And I thought that basically we, we did a pretty good job in that one, uh, for what it was worth. That's Uh, what we're talking about today. It's Halloween havoc 1998. And, uh, we did something several weeks ago. That was a big hit starting with our. Halloween Havoc 1992 episode. We did the coal miners glove match with Jake, the snake Roberts and sting. And we did kind of some fun modern day commentary on that. You get to hear Tony Schiavone as maybe you've never heard him before. We're going to do that here today as well. Uh, this time with the main event or what really was the main event, at least the way it was promoted on TV, Hulk Hogan versus the warrior. And we're going to do that at the very end of today's show. So if you were hoping to hear some fun, silly commentary, Uh, this is the type of match that that was set up for, uh, we're going to do it at the very end of the show. So if you're not listening, um, in front of a computer or at your home theater, uh, you can still go ahead and enjoy all of the show until the very end. And that's when we will go ahead and kick it to some live commentary from Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior. But first let's talk about the big announcement. We teased it last week. MLW radio is finally bringing what happened when with Tony Schiavone live, and we're bringing our show to Dallas. It's going to happen uh, pretty soon. Actually Sunday, July 9th at 1 PM at three links on Elm street in Dallas. That's just a couple miles from where the WWE is going to be holding their pay-per-view event. Great balls of fire down at the American airlines center. And this is an all ages show. Now, I don't know who in the hell is silly enough to bring their kid to come see Tony Schiavone in 2017, but technically they're allowed in. 
uh, and all tickets are VIP. You'll get to meet us, grab a picture, the whole deal. Uh, so there's not two separate levels for tickets here. Uh, the show is standing room only. Now there are chairs, but they're going to go fast. So get there early. And remember the show starts at one o'clock on Sunday, July 9th. Tickets are on sale today, Monday, the 22nd at 10 a.m. Central over at whwlive.com. This is not a huge venue. It will sell out. It's Sunday, July 9th, 1 p.m. Three links on Elm Street in Dallas, just a couple of miles from the American Airlines Center where you can catch the WWE's pay-per-view, Great Balls of Fire, Sunday, July 9th, 1 p.m. Check it out, whwlive.com. Tickets on sale today at 10 o'clock. Tony, what are you looking forward to the most about doing our very first live show? Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to working with you on stage. Now you, you haven't even mentioned your name about being a part of this. Well, and uh, you are, it's Tony Schiavone, Conrad Thompson together doing our podcast. And I look forward, you know, I, uh, at my house, <laughs> at my wonderful house with my wonderful wife of almost 36 years, Lois Schiavone, uh, I have often had a stand-up routine about our marriage and I would do this stand-up routine to her. And she would say, you're silly as shit. Uh, so I'm going to find out how silly I am coming up on July 9th. And I look forward really more than that, Conrad, to meeting some of our great fans in person. Because the guys that I've been calling uh, who have been uh, purchasing T-shirts, and I am behind on on my calls, and I'm sorry about that. But the people I've been calling, uh, thanking everyone about the T-shirts, uh, they are just some of the nicest, more appreciative people in the world. And remember some of the good things that happened. There were bad things that happened, and some of the bad things we'll talk about today. Some of the bad things we'll commentate on today. But there were a lot of good things that happened through the years, and it's always great to go back and just relive those moments with the people who appreciated it the most. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a great time. Uh, I want to remind everybody again, doors open at one o'clock. Uh, the show is at three, but if you want to come and meet Tony and I and hang out, uh, we would love to do that. Doors are going to open at one o'clock. Uh, it is first come first served. As far as seating goes, they tell us that we're supposed to say standing room only, but the reality is there's going to be a bunch of chairs there. Uh, the sooner you get there, the sooner you get to kind of pick up your spot. There's not two different levels of tickets. It's just one price. Come on in, have a good time. Uh, we would love to sign whatever you have, take a picture with whatever you have, and you can always sport a Tony Schiavone t-shirt. All you've got to do is go to pro forward slash WHW. And we've got lots of fun t-shirts over there right now, Tony. And I've been told, I can't believe this is even a thing, but mm. we've actually got a Klondike bill glass bottom boat ride tour shirt coming up this week. I, I don't know that we'll ever, it's probably a low point in the history of the show, uh, <laughs> last week's episode. Uh, but we, we will have a shirt, uh, commemorating that if that's even the right use of that word over at pro wrestling forward slash WHW. And don't forget, you can also get the, we're out of time shirt, the old commentary ninja shirt, Parker's jump rope Academy. I'm a Tom Zink guy. The hot tag shirt, lowest rules, Klondick, the Blockmaster, uh, all that fun stuff is available right now at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash WHW. And Tony, when you go check out that site and you pick up a shirt, what happens not too terribly long after that? Tony Schiavone calls you on your phone, and I've had a couple of guys who have given me their office phone. One even gave me a, uh, <laughs> a fax line. Uh, but I will call you, and if I miss your call, I'll leave a message, uh, and I'll be 
telling you that I will try to call you back in the future. But then again, if I miss your call, I kind of put you at the back of the back of the list and, and start calling forward. But I will give you a call and, and it will not only say thank you, spend some time with you and talk about some of your memories. Everybody's been very nice. You know, most, most everyone says you are a part of my childhood and that makes me seem old as shit, but sure. that's re- reality, right? Yeah, it is reality. I think most everybody listening to this, I uh, grew up with you being part of their childhood because most of us listening to this became a wrestling fan as a kid. And, uh, you know, while the guys were out there making music, you were putting the lyrics to it and you get to be a part of that live and in person, come join us. Uh, th- this is not going to be, uh, your standard podcast show. If you're not really sure what you're signing up for, let me assure you, this is going to be nonstop laughs. We get lots of questions about, will I be able to get something to eat or drink there? Yes, you will. The next door to a taco shop that can take your food order and bring it right over to you. Uh, so you'll be able to go ahead and enjoy uh, kind of a pregame that you've always wanted before a WWE pay-per-view. It's July 9th. One o'clock is when the doors open. Three o'clock is when we'll start our show. You're only going to be two miles from the WWE's event. So this is ideal to do both. Uh, come see us. It's at whwlive.com. But let's get to why we're really here, Tony. Uh, this title of the show may actually be Halloween Havoc 1998, but this is kind of the ultimate warrior show. Don't you agree, Tony? Unfortunately, I would agree. I, uh, I didn't know what to expect from, from this match or from this angle. Uh, but I think I got more <laughs> or less than I expected from the match. I, I really think that, and not trying to jump the gun on the match that we're going to recommentate here in a few moments. Would you agree it'll go down to one of the low points of the high during the high point of WCW? Yeah, I think a lot of people could argue that this is maybe the beginning of the end show. You know, lots of people would argue that that really happened when uh, Goldberg uh, was defeated at Starcade '98. Some people would say, "Oh, it started at Starcade '97," but that's not true. The business was through the roof in 1998. They did a lot of big stuff in 1998. Uh, so I would say that this situation um and that's what i've got to call this pay-per-view this was a situation it really kind of got out of hand and i feel like uh was the beginning of the end but that's what we're here doing we're breaking this down in case you haven't been paying attention uh, we want to remind you that uh, we are doing this one pay-per-view per year through the end of wcw so this week we're doing 98 next week we'll do 99 2000 and then 2001 Uh, but then our very next episode will be all about the four horsemen. Stay tuned at the end of this show. We're going to announce who has won an advanced copy of that brand new book from the four horsemen. Uh, Dick Bourne has actually written a brand new book from the midatlanticgateway.com website. It chronologically covers every step of the four horsemen. And we're going to cover that on Monday, June 19th. So if you haven't already set your calendar and stay tuned at the end of the show, we're going to give away a copy. Uh, but let's talk about the ultimate warriors. Luck would have it. Uh, we're talking about him again today. I say again, because Bruce Pritchard and I just covered his 1996 run, uh, with the WWF on the most recent, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. That episode is titled King of the ring, 1996. If you'd like to hear what the warrior was doing right before here in wrestling, uh, but don't let that title fool you. King of the ring. 96 is really all about the invention of stone cold, Steve Austin with Austin 316 and the ultimate warrior. So check that out. If you get the chance anyway, long story short. Uh, things end poorly with the warrior and the WWF in 96 lawsuits are filed. 
And the warrior is kind of out of wrestling in a very similar fashion to the way it happened in 1991. Uh, but there's constant rumors that he's coming back. And that rumor mill really got cranked up in the summer of 97 when WCW would tease a mystery superstar debuting on nitro. Uh, the internet age of wrestling was at an all time high at that point. And the rumor mill was cranked up that the warrior was going to debut for WCW. Now it wound up being Kurt Henning and Raven. But just for a moment, the McMahons got nervous, nervous enough that Linda called and Linda had always had a really good relationship with the ultimate warrior. Jim Helwig is the man who portrayed it, of course. And she called and had a chat with him to say it would be tragic if the ultimate warrior performed anywhere other than quote unquote, where he belongs. When that doesn't work, Vince makes a call. He's unsuccessful. So when they can't convince him to come home, just basically in an effort to block him from going to WCW. They try to file for a restraining order to keep him from going to WCW. The irony of this, of course, is that was never going to happen. And Vince realizes that when the surprise is revealed and it's actually Kurt Henning. So they stop pushing the issue and, uh, winds up being Henning and Raven. I don't know why, but that's always amused me. Well, here we are now, February of 98 and the lawsuit comes to a head. Uh, a judge comes down and makes a ruling, not about the ultimate warrior, but the warrior name itself and says, Jim Helwig is allowed to use the warrior name and the character and all the mannerisms, the, the attire, the whole deal. So now there's a legal ruling and warrior is free to sign with WCW. Of course, he legally changed his name to warrior to make sure he had that, but the actual character he argued he owned prior to this when he worked in Texas as the dingo warrior, um, so since we're talking all things warrior here, Tony, you actually worked with him in New York in 1989. Do you have any memories of working with him there? How was he to deal with? He was kind of a quiet, uh, guy who didn't say much was very pleasant, would, would smile at times. Uh, but it really, you could not really get into a conversation with him. Uh, and again, again, I was kind of a new to the scene, uh, but he had that great look. I, uh, I, I can tell you a story about him, uh, after I left, uh, WWE and this is kind of an unknown story. Uh, we had a very good friend of ours who worked in the front office of the WWE. Her name was Leisha Murphy. Uh, Leisha has since passed away. Uh, Leisha worked as my assistant in, uh, Coliseum videos and Leisha left the WWE to take a job to be Jim Hillwig's personal assistant. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine what those job duties look like? Well, I try to talk her out of it. Really? Yeah. Because I told her, I said, you know, he's, he's been known as kind of a, at times an irrational guy, an explosive guy. Uh, and she was going to pull up all of her stakes and go to Arizona to be in charge of him. Hmm. And I told her, I said, Leisha, you're making a big mistake. You should stay where you are. Stay in Connecticut. She didn't listen to me. She packed up all of her stuff, put it in a moving van, got to Arizona. And as soon as she got there, he fired her. So she uh, called me and was crying and sobbing. What is she going to do? She doesn't have a job. She's out in Arizona. She has no money to get back. Uh, offered to send her some money. Uh, and to be honest with you, I don't know what happened to Alicia Murphy after that. Uh, 
So from a personal level, I didn't think too kindly of him for that because he was that very volatile personality that apparently blew up Alicia the first time she started working for him. Uh, but other than that, he always had a smile on his face. Do you, motherfucker. Do you know of anybody who, um, like there's a lot of people who may be like kind of anti Hulk Hogan, but there's always been a circle of folks for whatever reason who would say, man, Hulk's a good dude. Hulk's misunderstood. You don't know him. Like I know him. Do you know if, if anybody had warriors back like that? I don't, I can't think of a name. I can't think no, of a person. Not one. Hulk was of an engaging guy. First time I met Hulk Hogan, he came up and introduced himself to me. Right. Hulk Hogan introduced himself to me. Uh, and, and we, he and I had long talks, something that warrior and I never had warrior just did not seem to me to be one of the guys. Yeah. And, and Hulk was, and well, I think that says a lot. I think that is a great way to describe it because the people who know Hulk the best say that man, Hulk wants to get on the boat and maybe drink a beer and maybe chill out in other ways, but he wants to be social and he, he enjoys the company and the camaraderie and warrior. We've always heard is kind of, you know, a lone wolf, pardon the pun. Right. Well, when do you remember, um, him first coming up in WCW? Because obviously you guys tried to sign him in 1995. Uh, that didn't work out. So, uh, the renegade was born and we'll talk yeah. about that at another time. But do you remember after 95, when the whole renegade thing, you know, becomes the plan B, so to speak, since you can't get the ultimate warrior, um, when did this become something that you thought was really going to happen? I ask this because on the March 30th, 98 edition of the observer, uh, it comes out that it feels like this is probably going to happen. And a lot of the rumors are flamed by Mark Madden on the WCW hotline. Was there a point in 96 or 97 that you thought, Hey, this might actually happen. I, I knew, um, the WCW hotline was, was kind of like our answer to the dirt sheets, right? You know, the inside. And I didn't really pay it. No mind. I, because I had heard so many things we had thought he was going to come in. And then of course the renegade, uh, and they did that, that angle. But I, there was nothing that really told me that, boy, he's really coming in. I think because of earlier litigation that they tried to kind of keep it a secret as best they could from us. So I can't remember a time where I said, buddy, he's coming in until he actually showed up. There was discussions about it. I know. And there's always scuttlebutt in the, in the locker rooms, but nothing that I thought definite the ultimate warrior is going to come in. So, um, it's discussed in, uh, that March 30th, 98 edition of the observer, uh, that if warrior is going to come in and he says there is smoke to this fire and that Nash who lives in the Phoenix area had a mutual friend at the gym who had also heard who wasn't even involved in wrestling, that warrior was going, uh, and those are the type of ways that leaks get out like that. You know, it would come out years right. later that Roddy Piper found out that Hogan was going to be the third man in the NWO when he went to visit Hulk on a movie set. And then, you know, the old game, uh, telephone, yeah. telegram, tell a wrestler Piper right. tells other people 
And some people in the industry actually know ahead of time that it's going to be Hulk, despite every effort to keep it quiet. So that's kind of what this feels like. And it also is important to remember that on the other side of the channel, across the aisle, so to speak, the WWF is really catching fire. They're on the heels of a very successful WrestleMania 14. Mike Tyson was involved. Stone Cold Steve Austin has now been crowned champion. They've created the Mr. McMahon character in the more recent six months with the departure of Bret Hart. So they're gaining a lot of momentum and they're about to start winning the ratings war. So when that happens, people start to think, Hey, this warrior thing seems like a good idea, or at least I would assume, uh, have you kind of understood that they brought warrior in essentially to have opponents for Hogan down the line on pay-per-view because that's kind of what Meltzer's freestyling here in March, that it'll be two pay-per-views where he will headline against Hulk. I felt they were trying to recapture the excitement of WrestleMania six. Sure. Other than just feed the warrior to Hogan. It was my understanding that once, and, and again, let me be very honest about this. You heard a lot of things from wrestlers and you heard a lot of rumors from wrestlers. Most of them I never paid much attention to. I tried to stay out of the rumor mill. If Eric told me it was going to happen, then I knew it was going to happen. Because you'd heard so much. And you didn't know what to believe or who to believe. But when I when when it was uh, first official to me that the Ultimate Warrior would come in, I'm thinking they're just trying to recapture 1990. And I think we've discussed this on past episodes. That it seemed like WCW always tried to do that, try to recapture the the excitement that the WWF back then had laid the foundation for. Um, so I didn't think it was going to go much past two, and I had also heard that uh, Warrior didn't want to work much past two pay per views. That would be it. Well, in April, um, it comes out that Bischoff did indeed meet with Warrior, and this happened in Arizona. Uh, and they seemingly made a deal for what Meltzer would say is low six figures for two Mm. pay-per-view appearances. And and the question was going to be, uh, that's low six figures for each one. When would the debut happen? And so there's lots of people who assume it's going to happen in May, but because the NBA playoffs is going on, they think, Hey, we're going to take an L that week in ratings. Anyway, let's hold off a little bit. Uh, so we continue to get updates through the observer, uh, that there's all these opportunities for when and how are they going to bring him in? One of the things that was floated that I didn't even remember until I did my research this week is that the July 6th edition of nitro from the Georgia dome, which we all know is ultimately where Goldberg would beat Hulk Hogan on less than a week's notice and win the world title. One of the ideas was to have Hogan and giant on one side of the ring and Sting tagging with the Ultimate Warrior on the other. Do you remember that ever being something that was given serious consideration? No. That was not giving serious consideration. Listen, I, I after you take a look at the NBA playoffs in the late part of May, and you say you're going to take an L there, so you're not going to do it, in wrestling, it had always been se- seemingly that you would try to have your big stuff come out in the month of in in the fall, so to speak. Summertime was always kind of a down year for wrestling. I mean, obviously what we did in July, at the Georgia dome, uh, bust that theory wide open, 
But I never remember anyone ever telling me that that had a chance to be a tag team match for the Georgia Dome and for that Nitro. Uh, by June, it becomes apparent that they're going to hold off and they're going to have him do something in the fall. So he is expected to start his schedule in August or September. But these talks first started back in March. Do you believe that this delay would have been so he could get himself and, uh, I guess what we'll call warrior shape. Sure. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy, but, um, well, if you're able to read between the lines, it takes about six or seven months to where you can get yourself in a position to headline a pay-per-view. And you probably picked up what I was putting down right there. If you just Mm -hmm. watched, uh, WWE programming. So, uh, 36 to 38 dates is ultimately what it comes down to. And I thought Meltzer had this pretty specific, uh, from multiple sources, sources, uh, easy for me to say, he thought that it was going to be 36 to 38 dates for around a million bucks. So this goes from, we're going to be around for two pay-per-views to, Hey, we're going to try to stretch this into a run. And the goal is to have him debut on August 17th in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, explain to everybody why WCW would like him to debut in Hartford, Connecticut of all places. That is right up the road from Stanford, Connecticut. And that is one of the strongholds of the WWE. So again, thinking in the, the lines of trying to uh, recreate the excitement the WWE had years ago, Hartford seemingly would be a good place. And this is worth mentioning. WCW's business is on fire here in 1998. Um, the following week, they're going to be doing Chicago uh, for Nitro, and that's on August 24th. Uh, and it had already sold 10,707 tickets This is a month out, uh, with $263,000 already on the books for the gate. And the following week, uh, they've, they've got even more lined up. Um, so they're not struggling for, uh, ticket sales or money at the gate. This is seemingly a ratings pay-per-view play. Would you agree with that? That's what they, by that time. Eric Bischoff did not concern himself with Gates, even though, as you said, they're great. Like the, what's that? They're great. Gates are great here. Yeah, they're great. He not get, but he he worried about television. He worried about pay per view buys. He didn't actually, to be honest with you, Eric didn't give a flip about it. Read his book. He thought we should be a television company only and not worry about Gates. It comes out, uh, in August that he is definitely going to be known as the warrior since there's still some debate with the WWF about the name, the ultimate warrior. Everybody decides he doesn't need it. As long as he's warrior, he's good. And there's all sorts of rumors that since DDP is Eric Bischoff's buddy is DDP going to be working a pay-per-view main event with the ultimate warrior. And lots of people have their opinions uh, on that. That's, Uh, that's, that's, that's bullshit. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit on that right now. That's just people trying to make too much of DDP and Eric's friendship. Sure, they were friends, but I don't think Eric really saw DDP as a main eventer until we went down the road. And of course, in this event that we're talking about, he he was in the main event against against Goldberg, and it was uh, just another way to further the career. I just I think people read too much into that that Bischoff and, and DDP were, were good friends. So I'm going to call bullshit on that one. Uh, it's worth mentioning here that, um, 
when he does make the debut finally on Nitro, it's not really promoted. And you would think, I mean, doesn't conventional wisdom here, Tony, say you build it up, you know, four weeks out, three weeks out, two weeks out, one week out, today's finally the big day, and you build this anticipation. But the Monday Night Wars are such that people were flipping back and forth. And I would imagine, since they didn't go that way, you've got to think that Bischoff's strategy was, let's get everybody to change the channel. Let's give them an aha moment. Let's shock them. Let's give them something they're not necessarily expecting. Right. And flip over. But, of course, with the advent of the Internet, a lot of people knew he was coming in. What's the strategy to not just announcing it on the air that one of the biggest stars in wrestling that we're paying a million dollars for or more is coming back? Why wouldn't you promote that? Eric didn't like to work like that. Eric liked to just have guys appear dramatically. We saw it with Luger. We saw it with Scott Hall or Razor Ramon at that time. Uh, and he just liked guys, instead of doing what we think is a classic buildup, that's not the way he worked. And that's not the way the booking committee worked. It's amazing to me what a short-term shot in the Army was. Uh, he helps give WCW their second Nitro uh, ratings victory in a row here. Uh, they win 4.9 to 4.2, and he did a 20-minute in-ring segment here with his return. Uh, this yeah. is all, ultimately, of course, as everybody probably remembers, is Warrior and Hogan doing a face-to-face speech. It goes 20 minutes, but it goes into a quarter hour that drew a 6.4 rating, which is one of the highest ever in the history of Monday Night Wrestling. By comparison, on the other channel, they were doing a 3.1 at that very moment for Bart Gunn versus the Godfather in the Brawl for All. Uh, Mm. So it's really smart placement from WCW Uh, on the downside. Of course, at least for WCW, as soon as the warrior segments over, they drop down to a 4.5 and raw jumps back up to a 4.3. So when you get the rating and you see, if we know that the perception at the time as to how we're really doing is not necessarily money, but ratings, when you see the warrior segment be so successful here, drawing something in the sixes compared to something in the threes for raw, it has to be viewed as a huge success, right? Yeah, it was. We felt pretty good about it. We felt very excited about it. And we thought we were doing the right thing by not only putting him on and having that long segment, but going through where the quarter hour rating share was taken. And that was always, always very important. You didn't want to, and it's something we brought up on, on earlier programs, you didn't want to be in a commercial break when the quarter hour share was taken. Um, let's talk about his actual presence here. Uh, the warrior looks a, a great deal different. He's still jacked, but he looks a great deal different than the way a lot of people may have remembered him, uh, from 1990. His look is a lot different here, at least in my estimation, he's got the long yeah. dusters on, which he wore briefly, uh, in the WWF, but He's trying to go a different direction here, and uh, they're doing lots of special effects for the ring entrance. I'm not going to necessarily say it's like Glacier, but it certainly feels like there's a lot of planning put into the smoke and mirrors aspect of his entrance. Was this ever a discussion in the company when you've got a guy debuting like this about how much money or time we're going to spend on the entrance aspect, when do you remember that becoming a thing? It feels like Glacier is the first guy, and now Warrior may be the second one. There have been a, a lot of discussions about vignettes and, and how we present a guy and how he looks. 
I think the glacier thing, uh, because I think we all agree, we've talked about this, was kind of a popcorn fart. It was a guy that could not live up to the hype. The feeling was that Warrior could. Right. But here's one of the here's one of the big things that I always thought was going on with Warrior and while he why he wore the duster. When Warrior in his heyday, the Ultimate Warrior back with with the WWF, he was the biggest yep. son of a gun out there. Yeah. He wasn't bigger than Scott Steiner at that time. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at Scott Steiner earlier in the pay-per-view and then you see the Warrior, you think, damn, he doesn't look that good at all. I think in comparison, I think Scott Steiner, Steiner looking so big because Scott Steiner was absolutely huge at that time as far as his size are concerned. I think it made Warrior look smaller. No, so it I did. think there, there was an effort to, uh, to try to put a little bit more sizzle into Warrior than the, just this guy with big biceps and big chest coming in the ring because it wasn't the biggest one in the company at that time. Uh, we should briefly mention, uh, Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake, uh, here he is, uh, he's been butcher. He's been Zodiac. Uh, he's been brother Bruda. Now he's yeah. the disciple. Um, yeah. tell me about how he crowbars himself into a good spot here. It feels like, you know, as Hogan's weed carrier, he's just always at the right place at the right time. Yeah. I think we put too much heat on Brutus, the barber beefcake or, uh, whatever incarnation you want to call him. I think, and, and I think you're guilty of this too. I think fans put too much heat on him. If you are Brutus, the barber beefcake, and you're a friend of Hulk Hogan's and Hulk says, I'm going to take care of you. Why would you turn it down? Oh, I don't, no, for I never, sure. I never got the impression. Look, I never got the impression that Brutus, the barber was always in Hulk's ears saying, Hey brother, help me out too. help me out. If you can, I always thought it was known that he was going to do it. And Brutus was along for the ride. So there. Now, I know what you're saying. Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake or however you said it. But I never had a problem with Ed Leslie doing his shit. I don't have a problem with him. I just Well, you said fucking. You say that word 38 times a show so much that people are unsubscribing because of your foul mouth over there, Bob. Oh, they are? Don't you actually go ahead and hit that button on me. You're the okay, one wait. over here telling stories about glass coffee tables a week ago. Now you're taking me to task. What are you doing? Yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking you to task and people are unsubscribing because I say that four letter word. Absolutely. Well, fuck them. <laughs> it's not ready. Do me a favor. Uh, All you fuckers that, and see, I hadn't said the F word until right now. And you said it first on this show. I did. You did. I did. Okay. I did. Okay. I want all those fuckers to subscribe. Listen to this so I can tell them to go fuck themselves. Then they can unsubscribe. Roll tight on that. Okay, so where were we? Uh, okay. Warrior comes out. It's a, it's a huge production. You can't really make it who it is for several seconds, but when you finally see it's warrior, they get a face reaction from Hogan whose jaw has dropped and his lower lip is quivering. When he yeah. finally gets in the ring, Hogan says something like, I thought you were dead. Uh, so they're trying to do, do this kind of over the top, obviously referencing WrestleMania six, as you mentioned, he offers uh, the Warrior a black and white NWO shirt. Of course, the fans booed. Uh, Warrior says something like, uh, use that shirt to clean up the mess you just made all over yourself. And he goes on this long, crazy rant. Um, you yeah. know what to expect here. Uh, and then yeah. fans start to chant, Hogan sucks. And Warrior says something like, let's talk about something he doesn't know. 
So even though this may not have been one of the best promos in the history of wrestling, people are certainly on the edge of their seats just to see what's going to happen next. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I thought as watching this and watching it develop that it was way too long and was way overdone. But again, when the ratings came out, you couldn't argue with it as far as the wards are concerned. Um, the silliness of the interview, uh, is they have a little bit of fun with it. He references Ed Leslie and says, this must be your barber. And he mm-hmm. acts like he doesn't know who Bischoff is. Uh, he says something like beating you means nothing anymore. Everyone already has. Uh, mm-hmm. and then of course <laughs> he takes his, uh, deep breath and the lights go out. Fog fills the ring. The fireworks go off. And when the smoke clears, warrior is gone. Wade Keller would write, Shivani called it one of the most mind-boggling displays. Quote, Warrior has literally vaporized before our eyes, he said. And then a Batman-like warrior symbol shined on the arena roof. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of this segment with the, <gasps> he disappeared. It's like a yes. 1980s ninja movie. Yeah, it's like it's like the, the sting thing with the, uh, uh, and the, uh, the Black Scorpion thing. It was like... Uh, it was overdone and I oversold it, but I was told to, and it, it was a silly ending to all of that. Yeah. I, I wasn't a fan of it, but you do what you're told, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, D- should I say, you know, I, I certainly spent my time, uh, ragging on Dave Melcher the last couple of weeks. Should I rag on Wade Keller here? If you'd like, nah, he's not worth my time. Yeah, everybody agrees. Um, so let's talk about the pay-per-view where he makes his debut. That actually happens at Fall Brawl on September 13th. Well, I'm sure we'll cover that at one point in the future, but I should mention that the team captain for that match was Dallas Page, and uh, he is actually going to enlist some help uh, from some of the baby faces. One of those is Warrior, and Warrior is sporting an OWN uh, t-shirt and, um, well, not a t-shirt, but just all of his garb. And it's one, one warrior nation, which of course is NWO backwards. Uh, and, and they continue to do these crazy over the top entrances. Uh, there's lots of rumors out there about the trap door that was put into the ring. And that allegedly it really, really put hurting on. Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. Do you recall him being injured on one of these trapdoor segments on Nitro? I don't recall it happening at the time, but I recall hearing about it afterwards. You know, I I just, uh, as far as I'm concerned as, as an announcer, when I would see an injury or see something, I, 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 I thought everything was work. Yeah. But then afterwards, I understand he was injured, so. Um. Let's briefly tell you that part of fall brawl, uh, as we discussed is the winner will get a title shot for, uh, Goldberg's world title at Halloween havoc. So diamond Dallas page winds up winning it. And so now he is going to get that title shot against Goldberg. Uh, we should also mention that during a lot of these, um, segments where warrior is doing these black magic skits and he's appearing and reappearing somewhere else. This was one of the times that y'all actually pulled Renegade off the shelf and got him involved to play a bit of a body double. Any sort of irony and in, 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 after years of saying, no, it's not 
our version, we're not ripping him off that when you actually get the real thing, you're like, Hey, go pretend you're him. Go stand over there. <laughs> that's, that's WCW buddy. I love right? it. I love it. That's a, that's all us, man. That's all us. Oh shit. Thank there, you. Thank you for that reminder. There is a silly uh, segment that if I didn't ask you about it, everybody would be furious with me. Okay. Hulk Hogan doing the backstage promo with the mirror when it's two way glass and you see the ultimate warrior on the other side, but no one else in the room can see the warrior only Hulk Hogan and us at home possess this special power to see the ultimate warrior. Uh, who booked this shit? <laughs> that was, you can credit Hogan and Bischoff with that. You know, Hogan pretty much did his own thing. And that was his idea. Look, can you remember the ultimate warrior? I know you can the ultimate warrior in the WWE and remember all the interviews that he did. Oh, sure. And how, and how none of those interviews, if you really stop and think about it made any fucking sense at all. So why did anything he did with us, any of his angles make any sense at all either? I always thought the warrior back in the WWE days, when I would listen to one of his his interviews, one of his promos, I would scratch my head thinking, Jesus, I get a, you got to smoke some dope to be able to listen to that shit. <laughs> and then as we moved on and he disappeared and he vaporized and the Hogan behind the mirror thing, I got to thinking, well, it's all part of this mystique warrior shit that we don't understand anyway. So who booked this shit? That was Hogan and Bischoff together coming up with that. Um, and yeah, it was silly, but again, with the exception, every, look, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on Jim Helwig because he's dead, but with, with the exception of his look, a lot of the stiff stuff that he did was kind of fucking silly. Don't you think? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, this mystique and this talking and this, all this shit. I just, but a, I lot, a lot of wrestling is silly though. I mean, well, I know, but this was like far out silly. This was far out silly. I mean, you guys killed the giant and then brought, I mean, you pushed him off the top yes. of a building and then you brought right. him back 20 minutes later. And then a mummy came out and tried to do butt stuff with Hulk Hogan. Right. So exactly. in that same frame, this doesn't seem that crazy. <laughs> no, it does not. Um, what does seem crazy though, is that we have made it this many episodes and not talked about your favorite horror movie. You want to tell everybody what that is? My favorite horror movie. That's bride of Chucky. Am I right? Bride of Chucky. Absolutely. <laughs> this one is talk, one dummy talking to another as Heenan would say, this is something <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that doesn't get more play online, but you guys right. did this whole bride of Chucky thing before Halloween havoc here. Uh, is that a Turner decision? How does that come about? That's uh that's a, yeah, that's a Turner decision and a WCW, uh, WCW marketing decision to do something like that. And you just go with it, right? I mean, you kind of have to, and that's what we're right. going to do now. We've spent a lot of time talking about the warrior. It's finally here. Let's talk about Halloween havoc. We're going to get with it. Uh, at the end of us going through the card, we're going to give you some awful commentary on this awful Hulk Hogan ultimate hey, warrior. Wait match. a second. Wait a second. Awful commentary. Well, I mean, we can only shine this turd so much. <laughs> yeah. The commentary is going to suck, but we're going to love it. Yeah. We're going to have a good time with it. We're also going to yeah. go ahead and announce who won the, uh, 
the four horsemen book. It's uh, the very first time you can actually win this. And we're going to tell you how you can enter to win again. So stay tuned for that, the match commentary and the poll. Uh, and of course, cruise over to whwlive.com today after 10 o'clock. Those tickets are on sale for July the 9th. Uh, Halloween Havoc, man. It's not just about the card. It's about the fact that somehow you guys decided you were allergic to money and you run a pay-per-view for three hours and 22 minutes that a lot of cable systems up to 25%. In fact, only had slotted to go two hours and 50 minutes. So as a result, uh, they don't see the main event, which is, you know, kind of a big deal when you buy a pay-per-view and lots of people are upset and refunds have to come out. Uh, it is going to do. Um, us justice to talk about this briefly, uh, who, who decides to go long and then in a very WCW way, who doesn't tell the pay-per-view companies? I don't know if anybody decided to go long. I think it just happened that way in a very WCW way. It happened that way. WCW was out of control on many different fronts. More than anything else, we were out of control backstage. At the beginning of the show, I talked about going on the fly in the commentary, I think, with maybe the first match. And I said, we're going on the fly, which is the way we've been doing it as of late. And that was me kind of being a a smartass trying to rib on the square to the guys in the back that we don't know what the fuck we're doing all the time. And we are out of control. And I, I think the show, I don't, to my recollection, the show just went too long and we didn't know what to do about that. The show went too long and we had to get Hogan and warrior in. And by the time we got to Hogan and warrior, we were way too long. There's going to be a, there's a segment in this show where sting is being helped out or, uh, Billy Silverman is asking for, uh, the medics to come and help sting out. If you listen closely, you will hear Charles Jackson Crockett, Jackie Crockett, who always approached it like it was his business when it was years ago, you'll hear Jackie Crockett screaming to get the motherfucking medics out here right now because the show is running long. And things were taking a long time, and it took a long time for the medics to come out and and all that stuff. And that took some time as well. Adding matches, having Glenn Gilberti wrestle twice took too long. It's worth mentioning that the 1996 Halloween Havoc had 10 matches. The 1997 Halloween Havoc had nine matches. The 1998 Halloween Havoc had 12. Yeah. So just from the jump. You're at a disadvantage, you know, even if the matches don't necessarily go long and there were a couple of pretty lengthy matches here, but even if they don't go long, you've still got entrances. So by the time you have the entrances and the packages to promote it, uh, you're running long. So as a result, they actually have to give away the main event the very next night on nitro for free. And it sets an all time cable television viewing record for professional wrestling doing a 7.18 it's the best rating for a cable match in more than 10 years, dating back to the quarterfinal of the original clash of the champions. Uh, I say quarterfinal because it was the last quarter hour, which did a 7.8. So as far as an overall match, uh, and a 7.18 in 1998 means more 
than a 7.8 in 1988, um, or at least in my worldview. You're talking about 7,782,000 uh, viewers uh, with 5.3 million folks uh, or houses. So it's a lot. I mean, right. a lot. Uh, but that's not really the goal of pay-per-view. The goal is to actually get them to pay for the, the, the damn match and, you know, keep the money. Uh, what they would do, a lot of folks, a lot of cable systems, would offer the Tuesday replay for free, uh, and then they would offer a rebate on the purchase price of twenty nine ninety five. And so you could get $10 back or you could get $20 back, and some people would say, nope, we screwed the pooch. You can get all of your money back. There's been lots of speculation as to what this mistake would cost WCW. Um, some people would say a million. Some people would say 2 million. Did you ever get a number or have any idea of what you think this mistake would cost WCW? Monetarily? No, I never got a number, but moving ahead, it cost us big time. Now, of course it helped us with the biggest rating ever, right? Right. It was a loss win, but again, it goes back to this thing. And, and I believed it at that time. And I still believe it today. When you fuck the fans over, you're starting, your business is starting to go to shit. And that's how we started to fuck the fans over. Sure. We gave it to them for free the day before or the, the, the very next day, but you don't promise them something and then not deliver. And you promise a card and do a fucking no show. The WWF can't wait to blame, uh, Eric Bischoff for this and say that, and, and these conversations are happening with the WWF and viewers choice and the other pay-per-view systems. Sure. Hey, WCW sabotaged their own event and your opportunity to make money, Mr. Pay-per-view provider, because they right. are so desperate to beat us in the ratings. This was actually a ratings ploy. So they don't care about your business. They're not the type of partner you want. Events is basically trying to undermine WCW's position with the pay-per-view companies. And it gets right. to the point to where he actually has you respond on air where you say something like this was not for shock value. This was not a ratings ploy. Like the competitors would say, um, but we're the only company that really cares about the fans. So we're going to deliver on exactly what we said we would. And we're going to give you, um, the match for free. Do you remember yeah. there being a discussion that day about how important it was for you to deliver that message? Yes, I remember that, but I also remember them telling me exactly what to say too. Yeah, there was, this was coming out of, of that clusterfuck. This was big time, important stuff on our end. Meltzer would write. They also explained the reason they weren't going to air the replay show on 1027 for free was because it wouldn't be fair to the people who had paid money to see Havoc live. He, however, did say they wouldn't air the finish of Hogan Warrior, which was also cut off in a number of systems because it was, quote unquote, too controversial. Actually, the main reason for this is the belief that showing the finish of both Hogan Warrior and the complete Paige Goldberg match would kill the minimal replay business and not really because the Hogan Warrior finish was so atrocious that it was better to not be seen by the masses. Um, do you remember there being any significant heat with the pay-per-view companies or did it, was Eric able to kind of smooth all this over? I think Eric was able to smooth things over to a certain extent because we did such a big number the very next day that he looked, was looked upon by the Turner people in a very good light after that. 
I, I think that kind of helped him smooth things over. Uh, overall, um, the, the show was a success, you know, at least from a live standpoint, it sold out weeks in advance. They sold 10,663 tickets at the MGM grand garden arena in Las Vegas. Those folks paid $328,000 and change. Uh, and it's probably the highest profile rematch you could get at least over the era. Um, <laughs> before the opening match, Rick Steiner comes out to do an interview, uh, and everybody is expecting some bride of Chucky interaction here. Right. Then we get into the actual matches. Um, uh, we get Chris Jericho retaining his TV title in a match with Raven. They go almost eight minutes here. Uh, this is one of my very favorite versions of Chris Jericho. I love all things Chris Jericho in 1998. I think he does some of his, his best stuff here. Uh, you saw this match this week. what do you think of Jericho and Raven here in the, in the curtain jerking position? I, well, I, I love Chris Jericho like you and I love all things Jericho, but something has to be said about Raven here too. I love the Raven. What about me stuff? I loved all that. I love the flock, uh, Perry Saturn, uh, and that whole storyline. And it's because I'm going to be very honest with you. I was always a Scotty and I were always very good friends. So I loved everything that he did. And I thought they had a very good match. I thought they had a great match. When I watched this back, I was surprised at how history has kind of forgotten Raven's WCW run in 1998. Because I think when people talk about Raven, they usually talk about, uh, at least glowingly, his ECW run more so oh. than his WCW run. And Raven in 98 uh, had good matches. He looked good. His character was good. Uh, I think he's pretty underrated. Why, why do you think he had a bit of a ceiling here? Was he not playing the game politically? Had some of his personal stuff already started to creep in? Uh, what kept him from moving up a little faster? Well, I, I, I don't know wh how fast or how far do you think he should have moved up? I, I don't know if, if Scotty would have been a guy you put with Hogan or Goldberg or anything like that. Uh, I think the storyline of uh, the flock and, I don't know. Maybe Lo, maybe uh, uh, maybe Lodi uh, dragged his ass down. <laughs> I don't know. You know, look, Scotty was a very controversial character behind the scenes. Uh, that's but what, I, I think that's he did a great one. job of, of parlaying that into a character on TV as well as a controversial character on TV. He was our enigma. You never know what to expect out of him. He was different. Uh, he always said, "What about me?" And uh, I, I liked all of that he did. There probably is some validity in the fact that at times uh, he uh, his backstage stuff maybe drug him down a little bit. Um, when you say backstage stuff, do you mean he would talk himself into a bad position, or he just had personal stuff going on that we probably don't want to talk about in great detail? Yeah, probably personal stuff going on that we don't want to talk about. Next up, and I'd rather not talk about it. No, when you said he was your friend, stuff. I'm world pivot. Uh, Wrath pins Ming here at four and a half minutes. Um, some boring chance, uh, it gets, uh, three quarters of a star. I should mention Jericho Raven got three stars in the observer three quarters yeah. of a star though, for wrath and Ming. this felt like a match. You could scratch. I don't know that it was necessary. what did you think of wrath and Ming? Uh, there was a, it was a match that you could scratch. It was another match to where we put Ming out there and Ming is one of the most wonderful guys in the world. One of the legit badasses, but he didn't need to be in, in all these pay-per-views. Uh, I thought as a, an announced crew, we did a pretty good job of selling the finish in a pretty shitty match. 
and putting Wrath over. Uh, next up, we have got uh, one of two Disco Inferno matches. We've got Disco Inferno defeating Juventud Guerrera, and this is to determine who will be the number one contender for the Cruiserweight title. They go about nine and a half minutes. It gets three stars in the Observer. Uh, one thing in particular we should mention here as Disco gets the win, um, he says, Disco uses a giant swing, loses his balance, but in falling down, uh, lands with a headbutt to the groin. Uh, mm-hmm. One of only 5,732 crotch shots on the card. No Guerrero push. would get a near fall with a Frankensteiner off the top rope and a spin kick off the top before Disco gets the pin with a pile driver. Disco, I mean, Hoover too gets his just due as being one of the more, not from you, of course, but from everyone else listening. No, Hoover uh, too was okay. I thought he was a phenomenal performer. One of, one of the better luchadors for sure. Yes, he was. Youth uh, warrior. And youth warrior. look at you. Look at what you know. Thank uh, you. Disco was underrated here. And I think he gets a bad rap because he can sometimes be polarizing with some of his opinions. And maybe he had some interesting creative ideas along the way. But when he wanted to, uh, Disco could be a, a pretty damn good performer. And I think this match proved it. Maybe he just needs the right dance partner. And when you're programming him against Miss Jackie, uh, he can't do as much as he can against the Hooven Guerrero. Right. Yeah. Glenn was probably still is a guy who loved the business and the guy who learned, tried to learn a lot in the business. I love the Disco Inferno character. Uh, and I, I love, I thought he was a great heel. He may have been polarizing the fact that the Glenn Gilberti in the back didn't know how to shut up, but I always thought him to be entertaining and engaging. Uh, and I agree that this was a very good, as, as a matter of fact, I think a pat on the back should go to Disco Inferno for having two very good matches well, on bef- this card. Before he gets to the next match, though, we get another interview segment. I say another because the show started with Rick and Buff Bagwell doing a, kind of a lengthy promo segment, and now we've got one here. Uh, with Scott Steiner, who is going to bring out the giant and challenge Rick to a tag team match. And they're saying they do what they want when they want in hindsight, which is what we do here on this show. It feels like you could have done this on nitro or thunder, uh, to set this up and instead not had all of this happen on a pay-per-view. If obviously, if you're going to have, uh, timing problems, but this is when, and we just talked about this last week that Scott's honor was as big as a house in our 1997 fall brawl episode. Uh, but here he is officially the big, bad booty daddy. He's big Papa pump. Uh, and I think this is some of his more underrated stuff. I know he kind of gets a bad rap, but, uh, when you compare his early promo skills, when you saw him as part of the Steiner brothers, and now you see him here as big Papa pump, it's like, you look around and you think, where the hell did this come from? This guy was just dripping charisma by comparison. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, he was digging, he was digging his character at this time. Here's my problem with that whole angle. If he, if they lose, then Rick Steiner gets 15 minutes with Scott Steiner. To me, that, to me, that had no interest for me at all. Yeah. Because they were going to wrestle each other in the tag team match anyway. Right. What's the difference? If it was a case where he didn't have a chance to touch Scotty at all, or Rick Steiner had to wrestle the giant. And if he beat the giant, he would get 15 minutes with Scotty. Then I could see that happening. I thought this in effect was misbooked. I'm going to freestyle a guess here. And I'm going to say that the top four matches on the card is what creative spent all their time on. And this earlier stuff, they don't pay any attention to agreed. Um, so that that's probably how that happens. Match number four, Alex Wright would pin 
uh, Dave Finley with a neck breaker after five minutes and nine seconds. Um, hypothetically, who's your favorite wrestler in this match and why is it Alex, right? Uh, my favorite wrestler in this match is David Fit Finley because if I don't say that, he may find out where I live and come kill me. Oh yeah. I forgot. I wasn't talking to Barnett for a minute. Yeah. There you go. My boy. Um, underrated performers here. Alex Wright has, has, has been capable of having some good matches. Uh, fit Finley, obviously a legend in the business. One of the more underrated performers. Uh, he got uh, a star and a quarter in this match. what do you yeah. think of this one to me again? Uh, when you see how stacked some of this card is and you realize, Hey, we're short on time. If we cut a couple of those promos out, if we don't make disco wrestle two matches, he just wrestles one and we could drop Alex Wright and fit Finley here and just put that on nitro instead. We've got our 20 minutes back. I'm with you. I, I, I felt the same way watching this whole show. There's so many things that we could have cut, uh, and that we didn't, uh, be that as it may. I think most people realize that Fit Finley is one of the real legit tough guys in the business. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Next. uh, We've got a substitute up next. Eddie Guerrero was supposed to take on Lodi, but he had transportation problems. Apparently he missed his flight. Uh, Of course we know Eddie at this time was kind of on again, off again with some situations. So when you hear a guy like that, miss his flight, you wonder, is he okay? Yeah. Uh, Perry Saturn would still get the win against Lodi three minutes and 50 seconds. He, uh, wins with the death Valley driver. It's worth watching this match just to see what he comes out wearing. Um, he looks like he can be the manager at hot topic here. He's got on a chain mesh style top, uh, and Meltzer would write. It looks like he's right out of downtown San Francisco. I don't know what Dave has against San Fran, but he lives out there. So I guess he has a right to know. What did you think of this match? And wouldn't you agree this too could have just been scratched? It could have been scratched. I've always been a big fan of Perry Saturn. I, it was a great uh, line by Bobby Heenan when he's walking out saying he did his shopping at Ace Hardware. Yeah, that was great. That was a great line. Uh, I agree. I didn't, I didn't necessarily, and I always, I, I liked Lodi the character, but the, the sign thing was kind of, you know, the fact that he was more into the signs than he was the match was bullshit well he's trying to stand out and my goodness when you see what's still to come on this show i mean he had his he had his work cut out for him it's so hard to stand out here uh it was was hard for billy kidman to stand out too he would retain his cruiserweight title pinning disco inferno in just under 11 minutes Meltzer would say no heat this was an independent style match and that kidman tried a lot of moves that he didn't quite hit Uh, i picked up into a decent match Ultimately, he would, uh, Disco would go for the pile driver, but Kidman would escape and score the pin with a shooting star press. It got two and a quarter stars. Uh, as you said earlier, two pretty good showings here from Disco Inferno. We haven't talked about Billy Kidman much on the show. Uh, what'd you think of, uh, Billy's match here and how was he to work with? Uh, Billy, great kid. And Melter's right. The match had no heat, but the shooting star press got a great reaction from the fans. It was a great finishing maneuver, and I thought uh, Glenn sold it very, very well. But Billy was always a good guy to work with. Great kid. Great segment coming up next. Meltzer would write, the ne- next up was the best thing on the show, which was the Conan Lowrider video from San Diego. Just awesome. The crowd was cheering heavily. It was so good. This feels like the first time, while Conan has certainly been in prime spots on the show before in the promotion, this feels like, hey, he is on his way here to being a featured player 
now, of course, it's still so crowded at the top, but this was so well received by the crowd. It made you think, man, Conan is somebody. Right. It was a good, it was a good video to make him help make him somebody. Absolutely. It was one of the, one of the few videos. I shouldn't say that, but it was, it was a video that we did correctly. That was done correctly. Next up, we get Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell. Uh, they defeat Scott Steiner and the giant to win the WCW tag team titles. Uh, this just all kind of blurs together in my mind. They go about eight and a half minutes. Uh, Meltz would write this two match series had a great storyline, but very little in the way of wrestling. Giant was back to smoking cigarettes as he came to the ring and Bagwell was crotch chopping. It seemed like it was a response to losing the ratings ratings because the other guys are way more off the edge. Um, at one point giant climbs to the top rope and it literally took him forever to get his balance. But then again, when was the last time you saw a 500 pound guy try to balance on the top rope? Giant exactly. came down with a missile drop kick, but Rick moved. So he hit Scott. Rick pinned the giant after a bulldog off the top to get the titles, which got a huge pop two stars. So even though this may not have been the best wrestling match, it is a good storyline. This brother versus brother thing works. Bagwell knows how to get heat. Big Papa pump is coming into his own. Everybody loves Rick Steiner and a chain smoking missile drop kicking 500 pound giant is just interesting. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. A lot of good things in this match. When the giant will went up on the top rope, I'm thinking he is going to bust his ass. He's going to slip and fall and bust his ass. And I think we're very fortunate he didn't. I think with a guy that big, get him on the top rope. And if you watch it again and, and notice that the right foot couldn't find its hold, couldn't find footing. There was a real chance that he could have fall, fallen backwards. Can you imagine what a yeah. disaster that would have been? Let me give you, can I give you a giant story here? Please do. Okay. Does it involve a coffee table? Cause I don't want to hear it if it does. No, but it's close. Okay. Loved Paul. Great guy. Lois got to meet Paul. <laughs> so you got the, you got Paul white, the biggest guy in wrestling. And you got Lois Shivani with the biggest boobs of any wife ever in wrestling. Oh, that explains why y'all are so in love all these years okay. later. So no, uh, no, here's, here's the, here's my Paul story. Paul used to periodically, not every time. Cause he and I always got along. We always, we always uh, joke with each other, ribbed each other, and got along. Paul periodically would go into the uh, the announcers always had a room. You know, later as it went on, we had a we had our own uh, uh, bus outside. Announcers did a smaller version of a bus, but we used to have our own room. And Paul would periodically go in to our room when we were in a meeting and take a big shit oh. in our, in our commode. And leave it for us and write me a note. Tony, I've left you a surprise in your bathroom. Have you ever seen a, a giant turd? Uh, I've seen my giant turds, but I've never seen yeah, one of no, Paul's. Nothing like this, man. Sometimes it looked like one of them big rattlesnakes from Texas curled up. Really? Yeah. And you go, you, and sometimes you, sometimes he wouldn't give you the notes. Sometimes you just go in there and you looked at it. Go, oh, shit. The giant's been in here. So he did that a lot. That was his calling card to, to us. Thank you very much, Tony, for putting me over. <laughs> here's, here's my present to you. So that's my giant story. Well, he must've done that because he had been reading the observer and knew how shitty your commentary was. 
Uh, Rick Steiner would pin Scott. Steiner. Oh, that got Tony. Uh, Rick pinned Scott in a no DQ match, uh, in just under five minutes. Uh, this had all kinds of shenanigans here. You've got, uh, your fourth low blow in six minutes, which gets no reaction at this point. Uh, Bagwell hops over the rail in a suit wearing a Clinton mask, which I guess makes sense. This is Halloween havoc. Uh, Stevie Ray would give him a slapjack, uh, and then he would nail Rick and the referee little Nate. And then the bell rang for no reason whatsoever, uh, but Rick would still kick out of the pen. Scott would use a Frankensteiner off the top rope, who again kicks out. Bagwell is unmasked by this point, throws Charles Robinson out of the ring, um, and then Rick would come back and drop Bagwell's throat on the top rope. Nobody cares. They blew the million-dollar angle long ago. This is all from Meltzer. Rick hit mm. the bulldog off the top on uh, Scott, and then Nick Patrick runs in to make the count for the pin. After the match, Bagwell was screaming, where's Monica? Two stars. This feels, I know he's not to credit for this, but this feels so Vince Russo, like there's so much going on. You know, there's a guy in a mask and where's Monica and slapjacks and interferences and the bell's ringing for no reason. And there's just lots of surprise for the sake of surprise here. Yeah. I, no one cared. Meltzer said no one cared. Meltzer wrote, think, no one cared. Okay. I, to me, a lot of the things that, uh, Rick Steiner did in this match, especially, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when Bagwell came back in, I think the fans really reacted to. So to say that no one cared, I think is a very unfair statement. Maybe he didn't care. And his little click of, uh, a masturbators didn't care, but I think a lot of people did care. And I, I liked a lot of the stuff that went on. I, yeah, I agree. There was too much. I'm just saying it on. feels like when you have, when you finally have, after all these years, Rick Steiner versus Scott Steiner, this is a main event anywhere in the world. I right. mean, two, it, that's two, why it should have, they should never touched in, in. Like I said before, should never touched. It, it seems so natural to me. And now on here, it's the eighth match on a 12 match card. And it's throwaways where there's slapjacks and people in masks. And I know those brothers never really wanted to wrestle each other, but they wound up doing it. If you're going to do it, why not showcase it and and make it damn headline a pay-per-view? And maybe it's not for the world title, but it could have been for the U.S. title or something else. And uh, I don't know. It feels like it was just kind of given away here, given their stature in the business. Speaking of giving stuff away, the outsiders, uh, the people who are responsible for helping WCW turn around and turn the business on its ear. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash have a match next. Um, and they go 14 minutes. Um, the gimmick here is Scott Hall is pretending to be drunk. And he's had lots of out-of-the-ring troubles. I'm sure we'll talk about that on a future episode. But he brings out uh, what is a cup of water, but they're pretending that it's vodka. Throws it in Nash's face. Uh, they take turns trying to do each other's finishers. They both keep escaping. Ultimately, Nash lands a couple of jackknife power bombs to leave Scott Hall laying and then just crotch chops him and then walks out to lose by count out instead of actually being pinned. So as crazy as this sounds, Scott Hall wins by count out 14 minutes in uh, Meltzer would write weird and give it one star. Mm. I like the idea. Uh, I, I can't say that I hate the idea necessarily but that feels like something you would do to finish a nitro rather than it be a pay-per-view payoff. When you finally got the outsiders against each other, it too should probably be a main event. 
and it should probably have a finish where one guy's not just walking out. What'd you think of this, Tony? Why does everything have to be a finish? Well, it feels like if I'm paying $30, I'd like to see the culmination of an angle, not a continuation of one. I I agree with that. I agree with that. I just, there was a lot I liked about this match. Number one, I think Scott Hall had and always had some of the best working punches in the business. Oh, nobody's going to argue that Scott Hall, whenever we get a question on Twitter, like who are the greatest wrestlers to ever not have a world title run to me, if Scott Hall's not on your list, I'm not saying it should be one, but if he's not on your list, you're just not paying attention. Right. I just, I, I think the whole angle was set up and again, we can all, you know, we're armchair quarterback in here. I understand this, but the way the whole angle was setting up about Scott or, or Kevin Nash being upset about him and he's just going to have to, you know, beat some sense into him with that video that we had before the match and the way he would gave him his two power bombs and then walked away. I wasn't. And there was Scott had the shit beat out of him with his arm raised. That I didn't bother. That didn't bother me at all. I, you know, I, I, again, you and I have discussed and bannered this point back and forth a lot since we've been doing this show. There's a lot of jackoffs out there that think you got to have a finish, a clean one, two, three finish with everything. I never agreed with that. So I thought this was okay. I think giving it one star is wrong. But Dave comes from, and apparently you do too. The thing where you got to have a one, two, three all the time. Well, I'm not saying you have to have it all the time. I'm just saying it feels like there's an effort to stack as many big matches as you can in here that none of them really get the showcase that they need. I I feel like, and of course we're hindsight, 2020 armchair or whatever. If you're going to go 14 minutes, give it a finish. If you're going to do this walkout deal, let's do it in seven minutes. Yeah. Um, but this could be a nitro main event and it would have done huge ratings. Okay. And, and it could have had the same finish. Don't always blame the booking committee and don't always blame the bookers for a match going longer than it should have. Oh no. The boys you going to guys are told themselves. to go home a lot and they wouldn't go home. You understand that oh, that's a lot of guys, so I'm not saying Kevin and, and Scott and uh, Scott Hall were in this boat that night, but I was watching the match saying, man, they should have gone home a long time ago. And why didn't they go home and who in the back, what's going on in the back tell, or maybe they just freestyled, you know, we use that term a lot, you know, guys would go home when they wanted to get all their shit in sometimes. And sometimes it screwed us over. This may have been one of those cases. I'm not saying it was, I don't know. Can't remember if it was or not, but it could have been one of those cases where these two guys were going to do their shit and they could have been told to go home in seven minutes. It happened a lot, Conrad. It happened a lot. Well, uh, what should have happened uh, a lot more, uh, was Bret Hart versus sting. They had a match next and only gets a star and a half. Uh, a lot of people had wanted to see this match for a long time. It was a dream match of sorts. Brett comes into the match as the U S champion. Both of these guys have made a living using the same finisher with different names. It feels like it should be an automatic, you know, when, uh, flair was on his way out or flair was the heel, the torchbearer for WCW, Mr. WCW was sting. And he was here to thwart all evil. And at the same time, across the aisle, Bret Hart was doing that for the WWF. When Hogan was riding off into the sunset, here was Bret Hart to shepherd in the new generation. These are formerly the the faces of the company. 
And here they're third from the top, uh, and they get 15 minutes and the match is just a little bit of a miss. And it's probably because there's so many other gimmicks that are involved. Uh, Billy Silverman takes 900 ref bumps in this match. Um, yeah, ultimately this would be, you know, the baseball bats are involved. Sting does a stretcher job. Uh, Meltzer would write. It was amazing how literally nobody in the crowd took the stretcher job seriously. Not even the lightest polite applause as he was being wheeled out. And they eventually took him out in an ambulance. That stretcher and ambulance stuff has been done so much in wrestling lately that nobody even reacts to it anymore. Uh, star and a half. What did you think of this Bret Hart sting match? Because it feels like this should be an automatic, really good three, four star match. Yeah, you're right. Let me go a step further. I don't remember the light applause when Sting was being uh, ushered out and rolled out because if, in effect, if it's if it's a real neck injury, it's going to take them 20 minutes to get the guy out. They just don't roll you out. I remember people booing when that happened. Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's saying nobody even gave light applause. Like, you know, okay. they just they just didn't care. He, all right. Um, yeah, I agree. I thought that we should have had a kick-ass Sting versus Bret Hart match without all that crazy heat, without one guy having to have to be a shit heel and pulling something out of his trunks or using a baseball bat and, and all of that stuff. I, I thought it was, I, I agree with all of this. I, I didn't like it at all. Did it's I just, disagree with Dave? No, everybody kind of agrees. It's just, it's silly to me that we're talking about jumping off the top rope with a baseball bat after you've hit a guy five times with a baseball bat. And right. You've got Bret Hart, one of the greatest performers exactly. of all time, and we're having him swing baseball bats. It just exactly. Yeah, exactly. Wrong. Doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Not um, only that, Sting doesn't look good either. We're going to get to what's next, which is Hogan Warrior, but rather than talk about it here, we're going to do commentary on it to end the show. Uh, let me give you a teaser right here if you're not sure if you want to listen to this. This match got negative five stars in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. I've never yeah. actually seen negative five stars, uh, but there it is, negative five stars. In the main event, Bill Goldberg would uh, retain his World Heavyweight title by pinning Diamond Dallas Page in about ten and a half minutes. Meltzer would write, Page did a great job here in leading Goldberg through a very good match of decent length. And I got to say, Tony, I think this match beat all expectations. It did mine. At this point, we had seen... Goldberg kind of booked very safe in really short matches. This is one of her, one of his longer matches. And I thought they kind of stole the show here. Would you agree? It was a great match. And when that match happened at the end of it, I said, this is one of the reasons I've loved professional wrestling. And it was, I think I know it was pretty apparent how over Goldberg was. The chant of Goldberg, Goldberg by the fans was legit. Yep. It he legitimately had was over like a some bitch, as we say. Uh, and why we couldn't maintain that is one of the reasons we went in the shitter. We had a guy over like nobody's business. And Diamond Dallas Page did a phenomenal job in this match with him. And, uh, it was well done. The finishes were well done. Goldberg getting hurt, selling the shoulder. Well done. Love the match. It's one of my favorite WCW pay-per-view title matches. It really is. 
I think it's worth going out of your way to see if you haven't seen this and maybe you weren't watching wrestling or you just haven't seen it in a long time. I would encourage you to go back and watch this Goldberg DDP match. And there's been lots of talk about there's a time in here where somebody gets knocked out. I'll let you see if you can find it. Did you see it? What's that? Did you see where somebody got knocked out in this match? No. Goldberg was unconscious for a minute. He was, uh, when he goes to spear DDP, uh, he accidentally gives himself a DDT and he's loopy for just a minute based on his own testimony and DDPs. And, uh, they do a really good job teasing the diamond cutter, teasing the spear, which guy's going to get it. Uh, and then eventually when he does hit the diamond cutter, the crowd erupts and thinks, Hey, this could be it because you have to appreciate at this point, Goldberg, something like, I don't know, 155 and 0 or something silly. So at this point he is very much Superman, but everybody has been trained to believe now for years because they've done it the right way that this diamond cutter is the new DDT. And if he hits this, no matter who you are, that's the end. So he hits the diamond cutter, but he doesn't go straight for the pin. He's, he's wore out himself. So he collapses and he can't make the pin immediately which does save the strength and preserves the power and the mystique of the diamond cutter, because had he covered him right then, you could argue, oh, it would have been over, but he just couldn't get there. Uh, right. So that you still keep the shine on the finish. Uh, I thought it was done really, really well. After that, of course, as we know, Goldberg kicked out and then delivered a jackhammer for the pin. It got three and a quarter stars. I think it's probably Goldberg's best match ever. No question. And it's a, a match to me that sold me that Diamond Dallas Page was worthy of being a world champion. Wow, there you go. That's a big statement. I'm glad for, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I thought he was a made man to me in 1997 with this feud with the Macho Man. That's when I was really sold on. He's not an underneath guy. He's a main event right. player. Uh, but this certainly solidified it. There's been some debate as to whether or not this was the right time to beat Goldberg. You know, we talk about this all the time. Hindsight being what it is. As hot as DDP is, and more importantly, as over as this finish is, what would have been the harm in diamond cutting Goldberg and then pinning him one, two, three, setting up a rematch at World War Three and letting the diamond cutter not get landed and get the spear, the jackhammer, Goldberg gets the belt back. Would that have been smarter than to wait two months and let Scott Hall tase him and Kevin Nash power bomb him and Kevin Nash beat him? That would have been smarter than that. But the smartest, smart money would have been ne- never let, let him lose at all. Ride it out until it was the end of it. So Goldberg would be right now 2000 and 0. He'd be undefeated forever. Well, uh, no, I wouldn't say that. But I'm saying that I don't think it would have been good for Dallas to beat him right there. It wasn't good for them. To, I, we all agree it wasn't good for him to lose that match, to be in tase and all that. I understand the thinking, and I don't want to go to that event right now, but no, yeah, I I just, I just think we didn't ride out Goldberg long enough. Well, nobody's going to argue that necessarily, but it feels like to me that as over as this finisher is the, the diamond cutter, and you can tell because when he hits it, the crowd goes bananas because they've been conditioned. Hey, when you see that, that's the end. Right. Um, I think that could have worked, but what didn't work at all is what we're going to do next. So I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and pull up your WWE network. And I want you to skip forward to two hours, 33 minutes and 22 seconds. And I'm going to give you a minute to get there. It's two hours, 33 minutes and 22 seconds. And while you're looking for that, I'm going to go ahead and give you next week's poll topics. So we're going to kind of kill two birds with one stone here. 
Uh, so if for whatever reason you're not able to sit down and watch the show, I still want you to know what we might talk about next week. Uh, so let's get to it. We're covering all things 1999. Um, poll topic number one is Super Brawl 9. Uh, this took place, of course, in February of 99. This was also on the West Coast. It seems like that was kind of a staple for WCW for Super Brawl. Uh, this one's in Oakland. We've got Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan, in fact, uh, defeating the Nature Boy Ric Flair in the main event. Underneath, we've got Goldberg and Bam Bam Bigelow, Scott Hall and Roddy Piper, Scott Steiner and DDP. The Outsiders are taking on Conan and Rey Mysterio. Uh, this is fun. Kurt Henning and Barry Windham taking on Benoit and Malenko. We've also got Billy Kidman and Chavo, Jericho and Perry Saturn, Booker T and Disco Inferno. Uh, what jumps out to you when I say Super Brawl 1999? Hogan and Flair again jumps out to me. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like not it's kind of been overdone by that time, hasn't it? No, it's hard to argue that, you know, I'm actually going to do something a little different for 99. We're going to jam them up. It was such an interesting year in 99, uh, poll topic. Number two is going to be uncensored 99. Uh, mm -hmm. this takes place in Louisville, Kentucky, the very next month in March. And again, on top, we've got Ric Flair and Hollywood Hogan, but this time check this out. It's a barbed wire steel cage match. That's exactly what I think about when I think of Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair barbed wire steel cages. Uh, it was actually a first blood match, but halfway through, they forgot about that. Uh, yeah. Booker T would take on Scott Steiner, Perry Saturn, and Chris Jericho. Benoit Malenko taking on Kurt and Barry Windham. Uh, Hardcore Hack, the former Sandman, is going to have a three-way match with Bam Bam and Raven in a Falls Count Anywhere hardcore match. We've got Jerry Flynn, there's a name we don't hear very often, taking on mm -hmm. Ernest Miller and Sonny Ono. Kevin Nash and Ray Mysterio. That's the reason this one's on here. Stevie Ray and Vincent. And then of course, Billy Kidman and Mikey Whipwreck. What stands out the most to you about uncensored 1999? That one's a blur to me, buddy. That one is absolute blur with the exception of you mentioning, uh, Ray Mysterio and, and Kevin Nash. That uh, has to be worth the price of admission. Oh gosh. Yeah. Just the name alone. Um, because, you know, Ray did one of the great bumps ever for Kevin Nash down at Disney in 96, when he lawn darted yeah. him into the trailer, that almost, that almost lost our Disney deal for us. That bump did. There's another story too, right? I can't wait to talk about that. Let's save that one yeah. for another day. Yeah. Okay. Uh, poll topic. Number three, spring stampede. Uh, we're jamming them up here. This is the very next month, April of 1999. This one is in Tacoma, Washington. We've got Hooventude and Blitzkrieg, Bam Bam and Hardcore Hack, Riggs and Whipwreck, Conan and Disco, Mysterio and Kidman, Benoit Malenko, this time against Raven and Saturn, Booker T and Scott Steiner, Goldberg and Kevin Nash. And then in the main event, it's four corners, and this is a famous match. Randy Savage is the referee. Really process what I'm about to say. Randy okay. Savage is the referee. In the match, we've got Sting, Hollywood Hogan, and Ric Flair. There's one corner left, and it's Diamond Dallas Page. You would almost say coming into this match, what the hell's he doing here? He's getting crowned world heavyweight champion. It's the underdog story of Diamond Dallas Page. Spring Stampede is poll topic number three. Um, yeah. One of the more memorable nights in WCW, I think, to see Diamond Dallas Page become world champion. Wouldn't you agree? I agree, and I think that's the that's – the one reason I would want to see this one win the poll topic, because it goes back to something I talked about very early. There may have been a lot of guys 
who consider themselves smart marks who are saying that Diamond Dallas Page only won the world title because he was Eric Bischoff's friend. I think that's wrong. And I think uh, what we saw that night was a guy getting a world title that deserved it. Why not? Because he worked so hard for it. That, that happened throughout history. Guys were given world title shots because they worked hard for it or they deserved it. Uh, and so I, I believe this was a very important night for all of us. That's, and he's a Hall of Famer by now, right? He's a, he's a WWE Hall of Famer, so there. Uh, last but certainly not least, something a little different. Mayhem 1999. This is when things start to become a little bit of a blur. It's November of 99 in Toronto. We've got 12 matches here. Benoit and Jeff Jarrett are in the opening match. Uh, we've got Evan Courageous and Disco Inferno, Norman Smiley and Brian Nobbs. The Revolution, which is Perry Saturn, uh, Dean Malenko. You've also got Shane Douglas there taking on the Filthy Animals with Eddie Guerrero, Billy Kidman, Conan's there. So's Tori Wilson. A retirement match with Buff and Kurt. Bret Hart versus Sting again. Uh, Vampiro and Berlin. Uh, we've got Jerry only of the misfits in one of the corners. How random is that in hindsight? Uh, Ming taking on the total package. He's no longer calling himself Lex Luger, Scott Hall and Booker T David flair and Kimberly page. Let me process that again, David flair and Kimberly page Goldberg and Sid vicious. And then in the main event, the tournament finale for the vacant WCW world heavyweight championship in November of 1999. Bret Hart and Chris Benoit. What an interesting time in WCW Mayhem 99 was. Wouldn't you agree, Tony? Yeah, it was an interesting time. Uh, if you select that one, I will tell you why Tony Schiavone himself needed security that night in Toronto. Well, that's a nice little teaser right there. Poll topic number four, Mayhem 99. Poll topic number three, Spring Stampede 99. Poll topic number two, uncensored 99. Poll topic number one, super brawl nine. Uh, I find it interesting that we start the year or our polls here, our poll topics with lots of Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan main events. And then by the end of the year, we don't have that at all. Along the way, we've got DDP becoming crowned. And we've also got Chris Benoit in a main event for the world title against Bret Hart in Toronto. It's kind of a can't miss situation. Those are your poll topics. Uh, and we're going to give away that horseman book after we do some commentary on Hogan warrior by now, hopefully you're there. It's two hours, 33 minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, Tony, are you ready? Conrad, <clears throat> get that old wrestling voice ready again. Do me a favor as my color guy say fucking something this time. Okay. All right. Ready. We're going to tell you to hit play on three, two, one. Now. Uh, we've got a live crowd shot here as we pan left to right, and I'll let you take it from here, Tony. We're going to go to the ring with Michael Buffer. Take a look at this gigantic crowd at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. One of the great towns of WCW back then. Wouldn't you agree, Conrad? I would. I always enjoyed Halloween Havoc taking place in Las Vegas. It seems like a kind of a random town for pro wrestling uh, but I really enjoyed the havoc was there. I enjoyed it in 96, 97. And now here we go. Hogan with the feather boa. Uh, where did he get this? And, uh, when did Fredericks of Hollywood run this special for it? This may have been a smack in the face of Jesse, the body Ventura. If you want to think about it that way. 
who huh. certainly always gave Hogan uh, some unkind commentary through the years. I thought Hogan, and I think right here, take a look at Hollywood Hogan coming into the ring. I thought he had a great look here, a great heel look. Don't you think so? I love the black beard and the blonde mustache. I know it gets criticized a lot, but it's so over the top. It's everything that's right in wrestling. Exactly. Uh, I've always loved Hogan's fingerless gloves here. And he usually finds somebody in the front row who looks out of place, at least from this era of wrestling. Maybe it's an older lady or something like that. And he, and he has fun with it, which I think is so seventies wrestling. It's everything right about professional wrestling. No question about it. Hollywood Hogan in the ring. And now we take a look back at one of the angles. Oh, where he hit his, his own blood Horace in the head and gave him 11 stitches in the head, in the head. What the, what the hell were we thinking about back then? How, how much, uh, of a waste is the black and white NWO right here? When you get a wide shot there and you see Stevie Ray and Virgil and Scott Norton and Horace and. It's yeah. position. I mean, this is, this is not even B crew. This is C crew of the NWO. No disrespect to those guys individually. They all had great careers at one point, but it feels like when you're starting with Hall, Nash and Hogan, and now you're to Virgil things. Yeah, you don't felt. need to be in the ring with those guys. Do you? No, you don't. You, Tony, no. uh, how would you describe fuck money? Buck money, fuck money, fuck money. Yeah. I would never say fuck money. What about meat sauce? Where are you on meat sauce? Meat sauce? Meat sauce. Jesus, I, what the fuck are we talking about here? Virgil is all about that meat sauce and that fuck money. <laughs> okay. You're out of the loop I, on this? Yeah, I'm not in the loop. But thank God I'm not in the loop on that. Is Klondike Klein, Bill shaking that uh, pumpkin right there? No, he's not. Here he comes. The ultimate. Oh, can't say that. Fuck, I'll get sued. The warrior. Making his way to the ring. And I think he's waiting on Pyro. He's still waiting on Pyro. And as you can tell, he didn't get it right there. <laughs> as his arms went down. Oh, there we, there's the Pyro. Thank God there was Pyro. And I'm not so sure the fans are really into this Look as we him. are announcers, Conrad. Would you agree right now? As a matter of fact, I think there are a lot of people that are cheering for Hogan more here than they are for the warrior. And may I say, as you can tell right there, God bless Jim Helwig. He's blowed up running to the ring. Well, I think the crowd is very much, uh, at this point, probably over it. This feels like something from yesteryear when you got a guy who's all excited and shaking and running the ropes. It it feels very 1988 as opposed to 1998. And so I think a lot of people are looking like, uh, are we in a time machine right now? What the fuck are we looking at? Well, we're in a WCW time machine, as we know. And and Hogan, who said, I thought you were dead, say, I'm going to kill this guy. Multiple times. Right. Going to kill this guy. How, how, and, many, how many minutes of stalling are we going to do here, Tony? In a, in a show that runs over 20 minutes, we've got several minutes of stalling here. Several minutes of stalling, nothing going on. I can understand Hogan. Hogan being concerned because he's a heel here, but for Christ's sake, let's get the match going on here. You know what? I wonder sometimes when I see these people at ringside, you know, a lot of these kids at ringside now are like, they're like 30 years old and they're just a bunch. Well, that lady probably right there is in a nursing home. Is that Lois? But that's Lois. No, that's not Lois. Lois never, never came to a wrestling event. 
ever. You're a good husband. You're smart. Yes, I You're am. You're still and there married. Is the warrior just trying to get his breath back and Hogan wasting his time. How much? Remember, I was there, and I mentioned to Bobby the Brain Heenan, I was there at what is now Rogers Center, a Sky Dome, when these two guys met the first time. I was working Coliseum Video. It was my last event for the WWE, and I remember watching this match thinking, Jesus Christ, these guys pulled this off. Well, lightning ankle to strike twice in this one, I don't think. No. Right now, Nick Patrick... Tell asking the warrior if he's okay, if he can breathe and he's still blowing as you can see, and they are going to hook it up here in just a moment. Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior, Hollywood Hogan, if you will, against the warrior here. Jesus Christ. Would you jump down and let's get this fucking match started? I'm thinking that at that time, as a reminder, folks, Kenny powers is your referee. (laughs) Who's your referee? Kenny powers. Kenny Powers. Kenny is Powers. Your referee. Kenny Powers is your referee. Okay. Uh, Hulk Hogan in the corner here trying to salvage whatever he can of this black and white NWO. Yeah. And he's calling spots right now. Telling oh. him, here's what we're going to do. And the Warriors, I have no idea what you're saying. And now Hogan pulls off and the Warrior beats his chest. And really, no one. Okay. Now, oh my God. I'm glad look to at see, this body. I'm glad to see the warrior got that uh, Grim Reaper off his back. I was wondering how many minutes he'd keep it on when I didn't have to make a joke there. Warrior looks great here, but by golly, we saw Scott Steiner, Big Papa Pump, about uh, an hour ago, and <laughs> he doesn't it come where, anywhere close to that. Yeah, Warrior has deflated here quite a bit, which is probably yeah. better for his health, but it's not quite the same Warrior, which fueled a lot of the rumors that the real Ultimate Warrior died. And this was a stunt warrior. And really? Yeah, lots of fans, lots of rumors back then that the real warrior was dead, and this was not the real Ultimate Warrior. Oh, well, maybe the maybe the Ultimate Warrior was not dead, but in about ten minutes, you're going to see this match die. And now Hulk Hogan with a full arm dragon twist, and the <sighs> Warrior reaching back, doing as good a job of selling that he can do. Help me understand. Uh, when you when somebody twists your arm and you slap the shoulder, what healing properties does that have? It it combats the pain that is in in your shoulder. Oh, see, I Bill Watts would kick my ass if you had me talk through a spot like that. Never have me talk through a spot like that again. All right. Bill Watts got fucking fired. <laughs> Just reminding yes, he you. did. And I hung around many years after that. Kenny Powers getting the count here going. Okay, Powers getting in. Hulk Hogan is going to waste some time. But by this time in the match, we know this thing is going to be a fucking gigantic turd. We know it. Number one, Pat Patterson's not here to book the thing. And number two, they are just wasting too much time. And number three, they're both eight years older. So, and in well, and, years, and Warrior hasn't wrestled very much at all. Right. I mean, Hogan was wrestling once or twice a month here, but... Uh, warrior has maybe wrestled uh, two dozen times since then. I mean, probably sure. a few more than that, but not a lot. Yeah. Oh, Hogan's Hogan does a pretty good job as a heel. I, Looks I, the part. He's so underrated as a heel. People kind of want to gloss over his NWO run, I think. And I think for nostalgia purposes, people will always remember the red and yellow, but, right. uh, heel Hogan, man was just classic stuff. 
Warrior wants to do the test of strength. Which got us the famous, now infamous, I guess, uh, blowjob gif of the Warrior's crotch going, or head going crazy in, in Hogan's crotch in 1990. You think they'll be silly enough to recreate that spot? Hogan wanted no part of it. So now he goes with the collar and elbow tie-up, puts him back to the corner, and back and forth, these two main event superstars are slugging it out. What's the referee's name again? Kenny Powers. Kenny Powers trying to break him up. Hogan will not have any of it. A knee right to the throat. Warrior having air sex right now. Thrust. One, <laughs> two. Thrust. One, two. He's doing seven-minute abs here. Oh, the dreaded finger lock. Oh, now he'll do it, right? He's got a Now claw. that no good son of a bitch will do it. Once he gets him down. Yes, sir. Great strategy here by Hogan. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Face in the crotch. Face in the crotch. Oh, thank God they broke that one. I, I'm I was so, kind of, I was getting excited about it there for a minute. Now that we know more about Hulk Hogan, do you think part of the strategy here was to hit so, sort of headbutt the warrior with his thermos here? <laughs> do you think that's part of the strategy to just <laughs> full on Bubba the Love Sponge's wife thermos to the head? <laughs> Bam! Out of commission. <laughs> out of wrestling oh. brother let me, let me take a breath here and try to get back into this shithole match we're watching oh here comes the warrior up here he comes up hogan trying to hold him off what's he gonna do oh nothing right into the chest can, can i right make that i need to make a confession here tony i just realized two years ago that the ultimate warrior was supposed to be an indian character <laughs> really i never put that together well, you can tell by the tassels How did, there no, was something about him. Okay. I, I, let me just go ahead and say, if that's not a t-shirt, <laughs> there's no justice. We need a shirt that has tassels around the shoulder, around the arms that just says clearly I'm Indian. I don't <laughs> no, know. It should, it should be politically incorrect as you can. Be. Oh my gosh. Let's just, let's just burn every potential sponsor right now. <laughs> I mean, why don't you just do a, a, a rain dance right now? <laughs> Here we go. Here's where we are. All right. Back up. They go. And they have been selling this for way too long. Another, another full arm dragon twist. Now is he patting the, no, he didn't. He just reversed it. <laughs> Nobody knows what they're doing. Look at this. <laughs> no, no one knows what we're they're doing. Oh, and I said here at this at that time, at this time, what in the fuck is going on with the crisscross? Oh, and a big slam. Yes, uh, sir. So he'll sell it to the fans, knowing full well that the Warriors back up, and he picks Hogan up and slams him down. What is this all this gesture, these arm going back and forth, back and forth like that? Klondike Bill knows. <laughs> Here he comes. Oh, Hogan goes outside. <laughs> Hogan had to damn near throw himself over right there. He had his <laughs> elbow hooked over the top rope for about 13 seconds. Like, what the hell are you doing? Come put me over. Now, Hogan but is Hogan's waving him. him over. Hogan's waving him over. Send him Watch over. This. Watch his hands. Watch this. Here he comes. Oh, Come here, you dumb son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, get your ass over here. Thank God. Here he comes. We had four spots. How'd you forget 25% of them? <laughs> Get over here. Oh, Jesus. Maybe he was trying to win by count out, Tony. It's a good strategy. Yeah, maybe he was. Is that maybe a, he was. Is and that now, a little person in the front here, row right there? What's that? Is that a little person in the front row right there? 
a little person. I have missed this all these years. I never noticed there was a little person right there. Okay. I'm not going to go there because I've already gone places. I shouldn't go in this event and a rake to the eyes. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe you said that <laughs> this is 2017 people can hear us. Oh, not the post. Oh, oh don't tell me he's going to juice. You're not supposed to juice in WCW. It completely ruined uncensored a couple of years ago. And you're going to juice now ducking low. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I liked Hogan at least knew. Well, we missed. Let me go fix it and drop the knee. Hogan's yeah. a pro man. He's under right. He's a pro. <laughs> One of the worst rep bumps ever. And so he makes sure that he's going that he is down. I All right. I like start. that he now, dodged Hogan. the first one and then realized he had to take the second one. He's calling in the troops. I are we going to who are we going to see come in here? I certainly hope it's somebody worthy. Please let it be Chris Benoit and let this be a good match. <laughs> okay. Oh, here comes the giant. Where are the cigarettes? I don't know. He just uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go back and check in my locker room. Oh no. He, he better not he better not miss. Don't miss. Oh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, and down he goes. Oh, giant takes pretty good bump there. That's super mobile right there. My friend, look, yes, look, look, look at Virgil. He's like, just come get me. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody Virgil. is like, I don't need to get off the screen as quickly as, Hey, if you can call him the ultimate warrior, I can call him Virgil. And now Hogan, you can't see this right now. Hogan saying, get back over here. You dumb son of a bitch. There we go. One, two, three match over. Thank God. Let's go to the next match. Oh, but it's not over. It's not over. Mercifully. It's not <laughs> Hogan's going to pick him up. Don't tell me he's going to try belly to back suplex here. Yes, he is a wrestling Holy move, shit. a wrestling move, an actual pretty damn good wrestling move. Cover him with some uh, one, two, what exactly three. did it's Nick over, Patrick right? see? What, what could Nick Patrick see from that angle with the thermos in the way? There's no chance he could see his shoulders. Oh, well, you gotta, you know, you just gotta go with it sometimes here. And now he's going to work on the back. Now we are how, how many minutes into this? You know, match? it's important to remind you that, um, the slogan for Snickers was not going anywhere for a while, <laughs> which is what I feel like we're doing with this match right now. Oh. Hogan choking. Look, he's air humping again. There he goes. He's Klondiking. <laughs> Klondiking. Oh, oh, and he's got the belt. He's got the weight belt. And he's 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 really kind of laying him in here. <laughs> Just kick the referee. You know you're in a clusterfuck when the referee trips between the two guys. Kenny uh, Powers just got now. Kenny Powers is trying to pull Hulk Hogan's hair. Or he's oh oh he's gonna. I'm gonna. I'm going to throw your ass out of here. Please do. Please do. Uh oh, but here comes the warrior back selling the back and Hogan goes to the eyes again. You'll notice here that the warrior's paint is gone. Just about. Well, sure. Because it's been a tough one. Hasn't it? Conrad, did you, did you help put his paint on since you were so good at lipstick and all that? I was, I was there when he put it on, put it that way. How does that sound to you? Oh, missed an elbow drop. And he's going to wait. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Boat drop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you'd call that. What would you, what would you call that? Stop, drop and roll maneuver there where <laughs> that, I don't know. 
<laughs> oh my God. The roll. This, is, this the, is worse than I thought. Oh, it's oh, the big splash. <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing this, the convulsions after this is the worst match I've ever seen in WCW. It is. And he oversold everything. I mean, Jesus, he's, you know, give me, <sighs> Hey, you know what? Warrior didn't sell shit. He didn't sell moves or tickets. Yeah. Well, you know what? But if you had somebody who could guide him through a match and tell him what to do, you know, I'm not shitting on Hogan here, but now back and forth they go. As you can see, I, I think the fans on the far side are right now thinking, what in the fuck is going on here? I think you could say Warrior, at least from my memory, had two good matches uh, Hogan at WrestleMania 6 and the yep. following year with Savage at 7. Yep. I think both of those were really good you know, by warrior standards matches, his best two. Uh, and what was probably the common denominator there, right? It was probably Pat Patterson. Oh yeah. I mean yeah. the most underrated. Oh, one of the greats, one of the absolute greats in this business. Oh. oh, and he hits Hogan with the belt. Now Hogan's going face down. I hope everything's okay. Oh yeah. I hope so too. Hogan seems to be injured. I mean, he's been hit oh. in the what? face with the belt. Now he's, he's, he's reaching into his Klondike area. He's, oh, it's not the thermos. It's a Ziploc bag. What does he, what does he got in there? Is that a, are those his vitamins, brother? It's a lighter. He's going to light the dube. Oh no. Kevin Nash has told us about this. Here we go. Pass it around. He's oh shit. No, he just said a little miniature fire. Holy Moses. Did they miss that spot or what? Actually, it's probably the highlight of the night. Warrior very confused by this lighter situation. Just kicks it out of the ring. Oh, and you know what? As announcers, we have to say this. Wouldn't you agree, Conrad? Thank God that didn't happen. Thank uh, God that didn't happen because it certainly could have hurt the warrior permanently for the rest of his, his life. Now he's up on top. Instead, oh. instead of warrior being scarred for the rest of his life, we are because the match continues. There is no question about that. My favorite hell- part of any warrior match is when there's fireballs and top rope maneuvers. I don't know about you. Why is he going up there again? Hogan's to do a double axe handle. Oh, Jesus. And he hits it. Oh, and Hogan's bleeding from a belt shot that, that he immediately popped up from and tried to set himself on fire with. Oh, Jesus. And there's your 19th ding dong shot. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was one of the things I took away from this show was the ding dong shots. Great. (laughs) Tremendous clothesline. Hogan's going to drop the big leg when reach for God, it's going to end. When that, uh, when that ding dong shot happened, I have to assume the warrior went (laughs) and there's Horace Hogan, who has been irrelevant in all of wrestling history, but now suddenly is a big piece of the match. Uh, when the centerpiece of Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior part two is Horace Hogan tells you what you need to know. Oh, look, but the warrior's coming back. Conrad, he's a maniac maniac. Drive in place. And down goes Hogan. Down goes Hogan. Down goes Hogan. Down go- Stop me. I'm 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 stuck. Down goes Hogan. No, you're on your own. We're all stuck in this hell of a match. There's Eric Bischoff. Get out of here, Kenny Powers. We got to do something. I wish he yeah. could headlock us so we wouldn't have to finish watching the match. Here comes Horse. Oh, he, he hit the warrior in the back. He hit the warrior in the back. With a spray Turn painted chair. One, two. Thank fucking God. Oh Lord. You know what though? The best part of the match hasn't even happened yet. 
So let's be, let's be clear here. Uh, on the most recent Nitro, Hogan hit this guy in the head. He picked up that jacket at the nearest Harley Davidson outlet on the way to the show tonight. Right. Um, Put 11 stitches in his head that we're going to see here in a minute. Yeah. And and now, oh, Kenny Powers is getting the business right over the top. Kenny's out of here. He's eastbound and down. Okay. Look at the blood. I can't believe we allowed that blood to go on. Uh, Hogan did what he wanted, brother. Yep, that's exactly right, brother. Now they're talking, and we don't have any idea what they're really talking about, except to say, you passed the test. You passed the test, brother. Swerve. Now, now it's time for us to do what we really came here for. We're here to finish the warrior. So let's get a shot of those stitches, and let's let you reach into your pocket. We're going to set us a barbecue. They're going to burn the warrior. They're going to absolutely burn the warrior. Well, warrior just burned the whole town. So what's well, the difference? I know that, but they literally are going to burn him now. Go ahead. And now here comes Doug Dellinger and one of his, <laughs> one of his, uh, Charlotte policemen helping him out. Get your ass out of here. Why is everybody so fired up about this? <laughs> everybody wanted this to be a hot match. Have a hot finish. I know they wanted to be a hot match, but you know, we, we burned the town down. Basically what we did. I want to burn my fucking eyes out. I don't want to, I, I need my life back. I had to watch this twice this week. This has got to be a rib. I know, but I, I can say this though. It's finally over. And that match was freaking smoking. How miserable was Eric Bischoff right here? Knowing he had to go out here and sell this like this was anything decent, but in his head, knowing this was horrible. I don't think Eric knew it was horrible at that time. But I think after he went back, the fans in the crowd, look, no one knows what's going on. Look at warrior and probably neither does the warrior. He probably didn't know this was going to happen to him. He's probably wondering why does Horace's squirt smell so funny? I don't know. Oh my God. We're out of time. Our main event. See you tomorrow night. So, uh, there you go. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and give away a copy of the four horsemen book. We hope you enjoyed it. Kind of. Catching up all things 1998 Halloween Havoc. We had a fun time recapturing all the magic. Uh, 12 matches that we uh, we have debated for almost two hours here. I thought it was a pretty fun card. I can't say it was uh, a great show, but I did think that you had enough star power on this thing. I mean, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Bill Goldberg, DDP, Sting versus uh, Bret Hart, Hall versus Nash. Rick versus Scott. I mean, on and on and on, but this just goes to show you that you can have all the right ingredients and all the right players, but it's not necessarily going to be a winner. Right. They, most pay-per-views overall, most pay-per-views overall are not winners. You can pick out some parts of them and say, that was good. That was great. That was not so good. But overall, I never thought WCW gave the fans everything the fans wanted. And I think that was certainly our mistake. Well, but again, I go back to the thing. You can't have a finish in every match. If you think you're going to have like 10 matches on the pay-per-view and everybody's going to get a clean finish, and you're going to go out of there. I always thought the way to end up a pay-per-view was to have them leave that pay-per-view with something good. Unfortunately, they didn't. And they would have had they seen the Goldberg match. I think the Goldberg Diamond Dallas Page match, had it been seen on that pay-per-view, would have made people not forget the clusterfuck that you and I just watched, 
but it would have maybe made it not so memorable or not that bad. Am I right? No, I totally agree. It was, uh, an interesting time in WCW, uh, and maybe not their best stuff, but some of the best stuff to come out of Southern wrestling was the four horsemen. And we're going to give away a copy of that brand new four horsemen book written by Dick Bourne from midatlanticgateway.com. If you haven't already cruise on over to midatlanticgateway.com. Uh, you'll see everything you ever wanted to know about Jim Crockett promotions, the mid Atlantic wrestling territory, but we're going to go ahead and give away a book where you can win it before you can buy it. And Tony, you just got your copy this week, right? I got my copy this week. Let me say it is, it is very well done. Dick Bourne grew up in the mid Atlantic area the same time I did. So Dick and I have a lot in common. We talk a lot, not as much as we should. And we reminisce on some of the old uh, mid Atlantic days and thus some of the old Jim Crockett days where the four horsemen were born. Uh, this is a timeline history of the four horsemen. So if you were a horseman fan, if you want to go back and, and remember some of the big moments that you saw on TV or saw at a pay-per-view or even saw at a house show, this is the, this is the best way to do it. Again, this is not the inside information. You know, what happened uh, when Barry Windham took Tony Schiavone to Albuquerque and got him shit drunk or things like that. This is a timeline of the horsemen on TV becoming the group that they became. The greatest faction in the history of wrestling. And what we asked you to do was go to facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. And right at the top, we had a graphic and we encouraged you to share that post to promote this book. And, uh, if you went ahead and went over it, liked our page on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday, and then hit the share button on that post. You were automatically entered. So I'm going to say the name of the winner now, and all you've got to do is message us your shipping address, and we're going to get that copy out to you right away. And our winner is Mr. John Collins. John actually shared the post back on May 15th at 10:50 at night. Uh, we certainly appreciate you uh, befriending the show, listening every week, your interactions on social media, and of course, liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. And we're going to give away another copy next week. Here's how you get involved. Just go find us on Twitter, the same place you can vote on this poll and retweet our horseman book post. When you go ahead and click the retweet button, you're automatically entered. That's all you've got to do. Like us on Twitter. It's at WHW Monday and go ahead and retweet that post. We will look for you next week and announce another winner where you're winning the book before you can buy it. The book will go on sale uh, on uh, June the 5th everywhere. But just because you listen to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard or uh, what happened when with Tony Schiavone, we're going to give you an early chance to go ahead and pick up this book before anybody else does. So just because you didn't win today doesn't mean you still can't get a sneak peek. Go to whw.midatlanticgateway.com. And you have a custom brand new pre-order page that nobody else knows about whw.midatlanticgateway.com. And there's the exclusive pre-order page. You're going to get it before anybody else does. And you can pick it up for only $14 and 95 cents. That website again, to pre-order is whw.midatlanticgateway.com. I've got the book. Tony's got the book. We dig it. You will too. whw.midatlanticgateway.com. And of course, Go vote on our poll and retweet that right now to enter to uh, your chance to win a free book. It's on Twitter at WHW Monday. Uh, Tony, when I look at the clock, I can't help but feel like we're out of time. 
Uh, we've got that big show coming up. Tickets are on sale right now. Go pick them up. WHWlive.com. I'm talking to you, Dallas, July 9th, one o'clock in the afternoon. The doors are going to open three o'clock. We're going to start making you laugh and we're doing it just two miles away from the WWE's great balls of fire. That's right. Great balls of fire is a pay-per-view and great balls of Tony Schiavone will be on stage three o'clock July the 9th, three links. Go check it out in Dallas on Elm street. Pick up your tickets. This show will sell out. It's not a huge venue. WHWlive.com. Tony, what time is it? Conrad, you mentioned that uh, Great Balls of Fire is coming up, and we're going to be in Dallas. Speaking of fire, Horace has just lit the warrior on fire. The warrior's burning in the middle of the ring. Here comes Conrad Thompson and Klondike Bill, and they're coming. Oh, my goodness. They've got marshmallows. At least, I think that's what Klondike has in his hand. Maybe not. Oh, and they are roasting marshmallows on top of the burning body of the Ultimate Warrior. And we're out of time. We'll see you next week on WHW. What happened when? The world of MLW Radio never stops.